Good morning, everybody. You can uh, find your seats and uh, continue your conversations after the service, and hopefully you will. I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, we're going to, we finished our series in Ruth last week. You can go back and get the podcast for that if you weren't here for it. Uh, it was a good series. People have enjoyed it, just talking about what it means to be loved by God and as Him being our Redeemer and what, what a Redeemer's love really looks like. And so uh, if you missed any of those, you can go back and grab them. Uh, this week, uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, Joseph, um, and it's called The Other Joseph, because it's not the Joseph that most people talk about. Most people, when they talk about Joseph, they think about that Joseph in the Old Testament of many colors. You know, he had a coat of many colors. He didn't have, a, we don't know that it was of many colors. He just had a nice coat. That's all we really know. Um, we made up the colorful part. Um, and so, I'm serious. So, I mean, we, we really don't know, but he had a nice coat that was better than his brother's. That's Genesis Old Testament. That's kind of about as much as we know for some people. Like, um, but that's not the Joseph we're talking about. What we're going to talk about today is, is a Joseph that really doesn't, we don't know much about him. We, we know very little. Um, and uh, we're going to look at Joseph, who was Jesus' stepdad. And so, um, you know, Joseph... This Joseph, he would have always been the other Joseph because there was the first Joseph that was named Joseph and then everybody after that, it became a popular name. Just like in our culture, popular names come out of popular people. So some popular person comes on the scene and then all of a sudden people start naming their kid after that person. It's very similar in scripture that you see God give people names. Parents gave their kids names based on um, their belief in, in who God was Joseph was one of those, um, and as a result of that, what ends up happening is you then pass down that family name. Other people use it, and so he would have been the other Joseph. You're not the real Joseph. You're just another Joseph, like, and it would have been a very popular name, so his name would have been like Tom, like, you know, something really just like Tom. Wow, that's, you know, I mean, just simple, not complex, very popular name, nothing really unique would have been his name um, in Scripture. Uh, but here's the part I want to talk about. See, Joseph was also the other parent, right? I mean, we, we still think of him as that other guy. There's Mary. You know, there's God's, who was God the Father, who, you know, God the Son, gave God the Son. But then there's Joseph, the, the, other, the other parent, that guy. You know, he didn't really do much. He just kind of around is what we kind of think. And so what I want to look at this morning, because I think what happens so often in Scripture is we can look over people. We can look over significant people, significant events. And and here's the real important part. We love to look over simple so that we can find complex and make excuses. See, we don't don't want simple lives, because simple lives means we failed, especially in our culture. If we're really honest, in our culture, if you have a simple life, people look at you like, uh, nah. That's nice. That's not what I want. I want to be a movie star. I want to be a rock star. I want to be important. I want to be a doctor, a lawyer. I want to do something big that my, like people will remember me, and I'm going to have my name in lights. And none of those things are bad to be those things, okay? Like, it's not bad to, to be those if that's what God wants you to be, if that's what he's called you to do. But the reality is that for most of us, we probably feel a lot like Joseph, that you're just the other person. Even in a relationship, in most of your relationships, there's probably someone that's a little more dominant, more personality, more out there. People know them more than you do. This happened to my wife when we went to Ohio. She had been gone for a number of years as a result of going to college, and then we got married, and then we moved back to her hometown as when we were becoming missionaries. And in her own hometown and in her own church, she became known as Matt's husband. She's like, this is the church I grew up in. Like, I'm not Matt's husband. I'm Susan. Like... I'm sorry, Matt's wife. Thank you. Thanks for correcting me. Uh, that'd be tragic. I should say that on the podcast for all those listening, ever. Um, so yeah, Matt's wife. So as a result, it's like she was like, no, I, I was baptized in this church at age eight. My parents came to this church because when they bowed their head for the prayer, she walked the aisle to go forward to commit her life to Christ. And they, woke, they looked up and it's like, we're oh, maybe this is our church now. Like, that's how, I mean... So, and now it's kind of reversed. That when I go to the school, I'm Susan's husband. I got that right. I'm Susan's husband. Because she's in, in the secretary in the office, and everybody knows her, and she helps with the show choir program, and I'm that other guy, you know? 
And, and it's interesting to me that sometimes, if we're not careful, we begin to get a complex because we're just the other. And then we get forgotten and we feel left out. And I, I'm not doing anything. And I'm not doing anything significant. My spouse is out doing great things, but I'm just, eh, eh, right? And that's exactly what we find when we look into this and in the life of Joseph. And then when you look at his character and we look at this story, it's going to be pretty powerful. But to start this story, i got to kind of back the truck up. Because you have to understand that the mess we're in with these relationships and husbands and wives and parents and children and all this stuff happened a long time ago, right? We we know this from Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. It says this, Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, you're cursed than more than any of the livestock, more than any wild animals. You will move on your belly and eat the dust of all your days. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is after Adam and Eve sin in the Garden of Eden. God says, don't eat from one. He gives them one rule, right? And just like us, if we're given one rule, it becomes the thing we want to do, right? It like consumes us. Don't do this. I'm going to do it now. If I didn't know I didn't need to do it, then I wouldn't even think about doing it. But now I'm really thinking about doing it. I'm going to figure out how to do it so I don't get caught doing it. Because you told me not to do it. That's, That's who we are deep down inside if we're really honest. Why, why shouldn't I do it? I wonder what you're holding out on me. I wonder what, and that's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. The serpent comes along and says, did God really say? Is God really good? He's holding out on you. Those are all the same lies we believe thousands of years later. Same stuff we believe. When God says something, when it's in his word, when he, and same thing. And so what they do is Eve listens to the serpent, then Adam listens to Eve. And now we've got a process being passed down of everyone listening to the wrong people. And what happens is God comes in and They have recognized that they've sinned, and he says, now the problem is going to be that there's going to be a seed. I'm going to put hostility between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And this idea of seed becomes the idea throughout Scripture, the idea that God is going to raise up someone to save his people, a seed. A fruit is going to come from God that we can't produce ourselves anymore because we've been kicked out of perfection, and we can't do it. We need God to step in to bring a new seed, a new harvest, to resurrect us, to give us new life. And that's the gospel. That's what we look at. The gospel is the good news. And it says he's going to strike your head, but he's going to, or he's going to strike your heel, um, but he will strike your head or crush your head. And so it's the idea that the seed God provides is going to do away with the serpent, but the serpent's constantly nipping at everything. Constantly biting, constantly poisoning, constantly, 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 all the time. And that's the way it's going to be. He said, this is the new norm. Then he looks at the woman and he says this. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children in anguish. Your desire will be for your husband. That's not a good thing, by the way. That's actually a curse. Yet he will rule over you. And he said to Abram, because you listened to your wife, or Adam, because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree, about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. In other words, the seeds you plant are just going to be a mess. You you can't fix this. You're not going to be able to work hard enough to fix the problem, to work off the issues, to please her, to please everybody. It's not going to happen. Before, you both just did your thing, and God was pleased. You could do whatever you wanted, and You were in the power of God, and so it was good. But now it's not that way. God now has to establish laws and rules, and now there's these new laws and these new rules that are going to bring pain. And you're not going to like the pain, and so you're going to try to get away from the pain any way you can. You're going to desire what the relationship was like before, and then you're going to desire to rule over each other to get the what you want out of the relationship. That's what he's saying here. And then he says, it's because of you, Adam, not her, that this is going to happen. You listen to her, and that's what brought the curse. There's some scholars that believe if Adam would have just stopped it there, if Adam would have just said no and ended it, that he could have been the redeemer for Eve, and that sin would not have entered into the world. But he chose to follow along, not to stand up and say, no, we're going to listen to God. We're going to cry out to him for forgiveness. We shouldn't, you shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have listened to that serpent. And then he should have killed the serpent. Or at least cried out to God to say, what do I do with this dumb serpent? But he didn't do that. He just went along with it to keep the peace, to try to keep everybody happy because he wanted to know too. He wanted to feel too. That's exactly what you find in the story. Then he goes and he says, you will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. 
since you were taken from it, for you are dust and you will return to dust. He says, now you're going to die. Before you were going to live forever, but now you're dead. It's over. Every single person that's born, they're going to be born in pain. They're going to be nipped at all the time by the serpent. It's going to be a big mess until I come back with a seed from me to fix it. That's the way it's going to be. There's no other plan. And so he lays this out and he says, for the dust, you are going to return. And now we're like, well, well, that's encouraging. I mean, if someone told you that, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Like, well, then forget it. I'll just end it right now. Adam and Eve could have done that. Adam and Eve could have just ended it in that moment and said, I'm just done with life. I don't want you. I don't want this. I'm not going to be married to you. I'm going to wander off. I'm going to go kill myself. I'm just done with it all. But they didn't. For some reason, they decided to obey God and be fruitful and multiply, which he commanded them to do. Eve decided to have children and have painful labor. Adam decided to work and cultivate and do what he was doing in the garden, even though they knew it wouldn't work out well. By faith, they surrendered their lives to the new plan that God had instituted in them. That's what they did, knowing that it was going to end badly. And so when you, when, you, when you think through that, and that's the beginning of the Old Testament, when we get to the beginning of the New Testament, it's not a coincidence that we start with a genealogy. It's not a coincidence that the first mention that we have of Joseph is in a genealogy tracing all the way back to the beginning of creation to say that God is doing something to undo what had been done. And so we see there's either two seeds. You're either the seed of Satan or you're the seed of God, according to Scripture. There's no middle ground. There's no, you're kind of good. It's one or the other, according to Scripture. You're either listening to the serpent or you're listening to God. It's not kind of middle, I kind of listen to both. It doesn't work that way. It never has in Scripture. And anytime you think, well, I'm kind of doing a little of both, it means you're in the other camp. You're in the wrong side. Because it means you've taken control like Adam and Eve did. And so it says, and then right after that, they have Cain and Abel, and Cain kills Abel. The firstborn son kills Abel. The firstborn son. So there's a reason why God says later that the firstborn son is mine. And God brings a new firstborn son that isn't like Cain. It's different than Cain. And he's going to do it through Mary, and he's going to do it through this new circumstance. And so when you turn to the genealogy in Matthew 1, it says this is the historical record of Jesus Christ. Now that's a loaded term. We've talked about this before. The word Jesus Christ means this is the historical record of Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah. That means the promised seed of the Old Testament that we just read about. That's what Jesus Christ means. It means Yahweh of the Old Testament who's supposed to save his people, who is the Messiah that his people have been looking forward to ever since Genesis chapter 3. This is the historical record of that guy. Got it? And he says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So then he's going back to genealogy. He goes, and it goes back from Adam that goes to Abraham and from Abraham to David. There's a, there's a line that it goes back to. And then he says, Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. That's where we got the first Joseph. And then you pick it back up at 16, I won't read all of it. And it says, and Jacob, another Jacob, fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. He lays this out and he says, this is how, he's tracing it all the way back. He's saying from Adam, from David, from all the people of the Old Testament, this guy, this Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah, is connected, and it's all about him. And so the New Testament that we have is to give us explanation of everything that happened in the Old Testament, to give us clarity on why and how and all the things that are there. And so he lays this whole thing out. In, in Luke, there's another genealogy in 3, 21. It says, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. So this is when he's an adult. He's age 30. And as he was praying, heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son. So we see that Jesus is the son of David, or he's the son of Adam. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. And he's the son of God himself. Four sons. Let, let me repeat that. He's the son of Adam, the cursed guy from dust to dust that means you and I are going to go dust to dust and die. 
He's the son of David, or son of Abraham, who God promised would be the seed that would save the world. He's the son of David, who is the promised king that will reign forever someday from the Old Testament. And he is the ultimate son of God that's been in control since the beginning and foundation of the world. That's all wrapped up in this gene, these two genealogies. The, the, the authors and the writers are making it clear that if this is true, this is a different kind of person. This is like no other person that ever existed. No other savior that ever existed. This guy's different. He, he fits everything. He is going to fix all of it because of who he is. Because he's the son of the son of the son of the son. And there's no denying it. He goes on and he looks and it says, as he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old and was thought to be the son of Joseph, son of Heli, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. He goes all the way back. He says he was thought to be the son of Joseph because he wasn't, which we'll read about in just a minute. Now, let me just explain this genealogy to you real quick. There is so much, you could spend a year studying just these two genealogies about Jesus and it would cause you to be so in awe and humbled and amazed, it'd probably bring you to tears. When you see what God is doing and just laying out this history to say, I am trying to save all of humanity. I care about every single person on the face of the planet because in this genealogy, it's crazy. There was a kingdom split at one time. And the kingdom split between the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Israel when David's son Solomon became king. And in that split, there was a big mess and there was a king called Jeho Jehoiachin who became king. And there's the curse of Jehoiachin that was given by Jeremiah. And the curse says that there's never going to be a king that's going to reign on Jehoiachin throne in the northern kingdom because he rebelled and he went away. Most scholars believe that, and you would look at the history of Joseph, that Joseph has two lineages. He has a lineage from actually the son of David, and he also has a lineage from Jehoiachin. If Jesus was Joseph's child, he could not reign because of the curse of Jeremiah. But because he's his adopted kid, he can also reign because one of Joseph's parents was from the line of David. See, what God's going to do is he's going to take two kingdoms and his son, and he's going to bring them back together again because that's what God does. He reconciles and restores things back together in ways we never saw coming. Joseph didn't know that. He's just growing up Joseph, common name, learning a trade, learning how to do life. He's married or he's engaged to, to this woman Mary. And the Bible lays out and says God's getting ready to do something amazing. And this has been planned for all of human history. And if it's true, it should turn our lives upside down like it's going to do for Joseph and Mary. And that's what this lineage is. It's a lineage that shows that Jesus is everything he said he was. So let's pick up the story. Luke 1, 26, in the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel came to her and said, rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now the word Joseph means Yahweh will add or increase. That's what the word Joseph means. Yahweh is going to add or increase what he's doing. He's, he's going he's to bring the seed and the seed is going to bring fruit. That's what Joseph means, his, his name. And so when he says Joseph, the one that's going to bring fruit out of fruit, and it goes on and says, um, and then goes on to this, let me ask you something. You're Mary. You know the rest of this story. Try to forget the rest of the story for a minute, right? This is the Christmas story. Just forget it for a sec. Put yourself as Mary... You're a virgin. You're engaged. You've probably been engaged most of your life because marriages were arranged typically at very young ages between families often. 
Two families would arrange a marriage together. So you've probably been arranged to Joseph. Probably wasn't even a choice of yours. Or if it was a choice, it was kind of like, are you okay with this? And you're like, sure, I guess. I mean, I'm supposed to get married. I'm supposed to be fruitful and multiply. That's what we do. So yeah, yeah, it's fine. He seems like a good guy. I trust you as parents to arrange the marriage. That's probably how it went down. Because that's how it used to go down. Right? And you might think, that's so weird. Do you realize that in places that have arranged marriages, that their marriages don't fail as much? That in most countries that arrange marriages, their marriage success is about 98%. I, I'm not saying that we need to do that today, but I am telling you that our idea of we, we can figure this out like Adam and Eve did, we can listen to the right people and get the right, we better be careful because it ends in death if we're not careful. And we better learn what it means to come under some people. And this is what it says. So the angel said, rejoice, favored woman. The Lord, so you're married, you're engaged, right? You're looking forward to your wedding, having kids someday. You're just doing life in your house with your mom and dad, waiting for the day. Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you, right? Like, if you heard that, you'd be like, wow, the Lord's, I'm gonna have a great marriage. God's with me. Things are gonna turn out well. We're gonna be wealthy. We're gonna have land, like we're going to, things are going to, like I'm favored. Not like all you people. Like I'm favored. You know what favored means? Favored means I'm the favorite. Like none of you are the favorite. I'm the favorite. Like this is odd. Like you, see the problem is we know the rest of the story. So we don't stop for a minute and put ourselves in it and go, oh yeah, you're favored. Mary would have been thinking, now it says she's afraid. Of course she's afraid. Anytime anybody saw an angel or God in the Bible, they fell afraid. Let me just tell you, when people meet God in Scripture, they don't smile. There's not a single time when people met the face of God in Scripture and were like, what's up, big man, and gave him a high five. Never happened. Not once. They always fell as dead people until God said, don't be afraid, it's okay. And they're like, oh, okay. That, that's the proper response to someone in authority, a person of respect. It's exactly what happens here. And then it says, she was wondering what kind of greeting. Then the angel told her, don't be afraid for you found favor. Again, favor. Let me ask you, what would favor look like? Don't say it out loud, but just think. In your mind, if you were to say to someone, man, I'm really being favored by God right now, what's the list you would pull out of your back pocket to prove to them you're favored by God? Because I guarantee you it's not the list Mary's getting ready to get. Right? You're going to show all these great things and look at what's going to happen and I did the right thing and then the right thing and then the right thing and it all just turned out so well and wonderful. That's, that's what we would read at this point. Like, wow, this is going to be really cool for this young girl. God showed up and he's going to favor her and it's going to be wonderful. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Holy smokes. Like, you're like, I am favored, and my son's going to be awesome. Like, I, this is the life I've longed for. My son is going to sit on the throne of David, and I'm going to be his mom. You know what that means? I'm next to the throne, honey. It's mom calling. I know you're on the throne. Just wondering if you could do something for me, Right? That's, that's exactly what, I mean, if we put ourselves in this story, that's what Mary's hearing at this point. But see, what we do is we jump to the end real fast. We don't get engaged in the story with this woman, with where she's at, when she's here and he says, you're favored. And then it goes on and says, you're going to give birth to a son. At this point, she doesn't tell him that it's not going to be Joseph's son. She says, you're just going to give birth to a son. Oh, we, of course. So that means I'm not going to be barren. Praise God. I'm going to give birth to a son. He's going to be a great kid. He's going to be awesome. I'm going to be an awesome mom because he's an awesome kid. And then it's all going to turn out wonderful. Like that's where she would have been in this moment. And then it goes on. It says, Mary asked the angel, how can this be? She, see, she, she gets it. Wait, how can this be? How can I have a kid because I haven't been intimate with a man? Yeah, good question. It's the question you would ask. Like, wait, you're telling me I'm going to have a kid, right? Yeah, I haven't had sex. I know. That's a problem. I've never heard of a kid being born without sex before. I've heard people say it before. I've heard people use that excuse. <laughs> but, it, but we all know it's not true. It goes on, it says, 
The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. This isn't going to be the Son of Joseph. At that moment, there had to be a million things running through Mary's mind. There had to be a moment of, wait, if I've got a baby and I'm not married and Joseph's married, how am I going to explain this to Joseph? How am I going to explain this to, to like, are you, hey, Angel, are you going to come with me? Like, we're going to, like, appear together and glow in front of people? Like, he's glowing, he's right. Like, he's, people don't glow, this guy does, so he, we should listen to him, right? Like, is that what's going to happen? Nope. Not at all. And you could just see all, for, and, and in this culture, if you were pregnant out of wedlock, it meant you could be stoned to death. It didn't mean you like got, had to go on government assistance and it was hard for you. It meant they drug you into the street, they picked up stones, and they killed you for being an adulteress. There's a moment of panic in this right here that we should ta- pause just for a minute, that if you and I just realized that all of our dreams just got shattered, I thought I was going to get married and have kids and the marriage is going to go well and all this kind of stuff, and all of a sudden the angel tells you it's going to be different. It doesn't even say she's going to be married to Joseph necessarily at this point. It just says you're going to have a kid, you and kid, and God's going to use it. And Mary's thinking, I've never seen God use that ever in my culture, much less women survive it. It goes on. It says this, I am the Lord's slave, Mary said. <laughs> it's not what I would have said. It's probably not what you would say. You want to know why I probably wouldn't have said that? Number one, I'm not a woman. No, I'm just kidding. Um, The reason I wouldn't have said that is because I don't want to be a slave to anybody. I'm my own person. How dare you think that I have to, I've been a good person. I've been a virgin. I've done the right thing. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't have to go through this. And then she says, may it be done to me according to your word. You talk about faith. To know that her dream, her whole life dream, her whole life from growing up and playing little wooden stick Barbies or something, I don't know, like it's over to her at this moment. There's, there's no promise of you're going to be married and it's gonna, there's nothing. It's just a promise of you're going to have a kid out of wedlock and you're going to have to tell people it's God's son. Good luck with that. That's all she knows at this point. And it's, then she goes on. Then the angel left her and Mary said, my soul proclaims the greatness. Then she goes out and she makes a song. She bursts into a song. This is not what I would do. I'd be like, now I got to go tell Joseph. I don't know how this is going to go down. I mean, I'd be, my mind would be running and trying to figure out how to do all this. And Mary's just like, I just need to worship right now. I'm like, wow. Then she goes on and she says, And my spirits rejoiced in God my Savior because he has looked at me with favor on the humble condition of his slave. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. She doesn't even know if she's going to get stoned. Because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy, just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Oh my goodness, Mary gets it. She lays out the genealogy. She's like, if this is true, I get what this means. It's gonna turn everything upside down. And she just breaks out in worship thinking, if, if this is it, that I'm your slave, I'll do whatever you ask me to do, even when it's going to make me look like an idiot to everyone. It goes on and it says this, Matthew 1.18, we pick up the story, the birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So this is the next part of the story. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he'd considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived by her or in her is by the Holy Spirit. So now Mary's life's been turned upside down and Joseph, look at this, 
Joseph, Joseph is probably not an old man. He's probably a young man. And we're going to see that in just a second. But here's Joseph, and he gets the news. He finds his wife pregnant. If you are not his future wife, his betrothed wife. Now, in Judaism, a betrothal meant a, you had to have a divorce. Like, there was a payment made. There was a deposit. Like, like there, it, when you gave your word to be married ahead of time, you were already like heading that direction, and you had to go back and undo that if you went against your word. Joseph, who has every right to drag Mary out in front of the religious leaders and have her stoned for this, it says he's a righteous man, and he's looking for a way not to hurt her. He doesn't necessarily probably believe her at this point, because the angel hasn't appeared. Remember, we jumped to the story. But at the point he hears this, he's probably struggling, saying, how do I deal with this? How do how? Our families and like the dreams we had together and what our families dreamed and like, well, I don't, what am I going to, do I believe her? I don't, it's hard to believe. I mean, I know the scriptures, I know the scriptures say that a virgin will conceive. Isaiah says that and give birth to a son, but really Mary and me? I mean, I'm just Joseph. I'm nobody. Mary's nobody. We're just, not us. And so Joseph, he's struggling, and, he's, and I love his character. Look at his character as the other father. He knows that he's going to have to be the other father. He's never going to be the father. He's the other dad the rest of his life. And he looks, and it says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Obviously, he was afraid to take her. Still wanted to, probably, but was fearing what culture would think, what parents would think, what, what's going to happen, what are... Are people going to think we slept together? I don't want to look like it I, that I slept with her. I'm righteous. I haven't done the wrong thing. And they're going to think we did it and I'm just trying to cover it up. And I, I don't want that either, but I don't want to hurt Mary. Because Mary's never done anything like this. She's a righteous person. She loves the Lord. And you can see all of Joseph's heart here. And then it says this, she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. And you don't even get to pick the name. So Joseph, I'm the angel, I'm showing you up. You need to marry Mary. Oh, and by the way, that name you've been dreaming about, you and Mary have been talking about the names for your kids, and you think we talk about names? In Judaism, it was a big, 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 big deal. You've been talking about a name that you're gonna give your first and third and however many kids you have, you got a name picked out for all of them, right? You don't even get to name your child, Joseph. If you choose to do this, which we're asking you to do, God and the angels in heaven, this is what you're going to name him. He's not your kid. He's not going to be your kid. Mary will be your wife someday. He's not going to be yours. And notice it doesn't say he's going to save the people from the Romans and their circumstances. It says he's going to save the people from their sins, which would have blown them away. Because the only way to be saved from sins at this time was by sacrificing thousands of animals every year. <laughs> Millions of animals, probably. And he's going to save the people from their sins? Now, all that took place to fulfill was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Then Joseph got up from sleeping. He did as the Lord's angel commanded him. He married her but did not know her intimately, and she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. He was obedient. He said, okay, I'll, I'll take all the consequences. I'll take the ridicule and people thinking. Remember we read earlier in the genealogy where it said people thought he was Joseph's son? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, all the way to Jesus' death, people are still, the rumors are still out there. And Joseph says, I'll do it. And here's the crazy part, men. You need to wake up if you're asleep because this is powerful. Joseph's a young man. He's probably teens, late teens, early 20s. He hasn't been able to prepare like most men are to get ready for marriage, to have a home, which you were supposed to do and in Jew Jewish culture, to have a home to take her to and do those things. This, God's preempting the process. He's going to have to step out in faith and marry her and there may not be the things there that they're supposed to have. And the other thing, he's going to marry her and know that at least for nine months, probably minimally seven months, he's not going to have sex. Every young man I've ever talked to, that's the thing they look forward to most. 
I'm going to get married and I'm going to consummate this and it's going to be awesome. And it's going to fix my problems that I have with being lustful. It doesn't. It makes them worse. Joseph was a righteous man. He was told no by God to the thing he probably, just like all Jewish boys back then talked about, the day you consummate your marriage. And in Judaism, do you understand how a marriage worked when you got married? You understood, like, for him to say you're going to get married, he's trying to figure out how's the hoopah thing going to happen where, where we go into the bridal chamber and we sleep together and then I bring out the sheet that shows she was a virgin because the hymen broke. I, I don't know how that's going to happen. I can't do that. What are people going to think of our marriage if I can't consummate it? Is it a real marriage then? This is huge. This isn't small. Joseph's character to say, I'll do what you say. It means I'm not going to have my needs met, and that's okay. I'll follow God. I'll do what he says. You see, we've taught that in this area that sex is a right. It's not a right. It's not a need. You can do without it. You can go a lifetime without it. People do. It's a gift. It's a gift given between two people who care about one another. That's all it is. And sometimes gifts are taken away. And if you haven't learned how to control yourself like Joseph obviously already had, that's why he was fine with it. Okay, I can do that. He goes on, he says this, Luke 2, In those days dream, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while... Quirinius was governor of Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judah to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. So they weren't married yet when they went to Bethlehem. They were still engaged. They got married in Bethlehem. Shotgun wedding. They eloped. So here they are, they travel to Bethlehem, and, they, and he's got to do the right thing. So, so they find themselves in Bethlehem, why? Because Joseph's just doing the right thing. The, gov the government said, I got to go to Bethlehem, we got to go. But I'm pregnant, I, sorry, I got to obey the government. Like, they're going to come find us, and they're going to do bad things to us, so we need to travel, I know you're pregnant, let's go. And they go, and Joseph leads them to Bethlehem. C can you imagine what your honeymoon would be like. Maybe they, she thought, you know, we're going to go to Bethlehem, we'll have a little honeymoon, right? Like, like we didn't get to have, we haven't had a honeymoon yet, and we'll go to Bethlehem, we'll elope, and then we'll have a nice honeymoon, and it'll be good, we'll be hanging out in Bethlehem, and be around Joseph's family line, we'll be, meet people we're related to, and people, distant relatives, and all that kind of stuff, and no, because here's what happens. When they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in snugly, uh, snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them at the lodging place. Epic failure of husband to plan. Right? You're pregnant, we had to come to this town and you didn't have a plan. We don't have a place to stay. My baby's sleeping where the cow was just licking his long tongue in to get the grain out of the corners and we're just going to clean that. They don't have bleach back then. There's not like sanitary, like I'm going to stick my kid in this. Yep. That's your honeymoon. It's wonderful. Oh, and by the way, you'll see in a minute, there's more to this. In the same region, shepherds were staying. So now I'm going to have visitors. And they're going to be smelly, dirty shepherds. And Joseph doesn't stop them at the door. He lets them come in. Can you imagine? You're laying there. You're in a barn. Your child's in a feeding trough. And then there's sheep and shepherds coming in. Like, we came to see the baby. You know, and you're like, what are these? And that's what's happening. And they were staying in the fields and keeping watch of their flock. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Again, shepherds terrified. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph. And the baby was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Look at this. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. No bitterness. No why me. I'm in a dumb barn and a feeding trough. No, just... She's treasuring that people just got to see their salvation. Then it goes on, but Mary was, the shepherds uh, returned, glorifying and praising God for all they'd seen and heard, just as they had been told. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, because they ate, they did circumcision, and that was an Old Testament commandment, 
Again, they were righteous people. Joseph was righteous to do the right thing that he was supposed to do according to the Old Testament law. He's following it clearly. He was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before uh, he was conceived. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they, were brought, they brought him to, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So Mary, because she had given birth, there was a process, if you read in Leviticus, of purification. She had to become pure because she had been bleeding and you don't walk in bleeding into the temple. And so, because blood is, is, is holy in the temple. And so you had to be inspected by a priest to be clean, like a doctor, to say, you're, you're good. You can, you can do this. And same with Jesus, that he's good. He can be brought into the temple. And so when they are obeying the law of Moses, just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn man, a male, will be dedicated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of two turtle doves or a young pigeon. That's not what's stated in the law of the Lord. It is. But that's not what's stated first. See, when Abraham was sacrificing Isaac, God provided a ram, a firstborn sheep, male sheep. And in the Old Testament, the wealthy would come to the temple and what they would offer for their son... If, if you were wealthy and you were righteous, you were really good, you would be sure you had a ram to bring to show off to your friends. Look at our wonderful ram that we brought with us. But God, because of his mercy in the Old Testament, gave the poor an option. He said, if you don't have a ram, I don't want you to borrow for one. I don't want you to steal for one. I don't want you to ask mom and dad for one. You can go out and catch two turtle doves and bring them. Yeah, but, but if I do that, everybody's going to know that I'm poor. And everybody's going to think that I don't have as much as everybody else. And they're going to see it. So I'd rather just find a way to give a ram so I look good. And it says here that they willingly brought two pigeons, two turtle doves. And we're poor. We, we have nothing. See, the wise men hadn't come yet. That's why they don't have gold, frankincense, and myrrh yet. And so here they are. And Joseph does the right thing. He doesn't try to cover it up. He doesn't try to pretend. He walks in and says, we're poor. And as a poor person, I admit that. And I'm just going to bring two turtle doves because that's what God asked me to bring. I'm not going to go try to leverage to get a lamb. I'm just going to bring two turtle doves because that's what I got. And I'm going to give it all. It's exactly what Joseph does here. And so again, people would have looked and they would have said, mm, yeah, you can only offer two turtle doves because you guys had sex before marriage and got pregnant. Now you're saying it's God's son and you got all this crazy story and shepherds and pfft. no, that's why you're giving two turtle doves because God's not with you. He's not blessing your life like he blesses my life. It goes on, it says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men came from the east, arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with it. So he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I can go worship him. He doesn't want to worship him. We find out later he wants to kill him because he's a king. He doesn't want anybody overthrowing his kingdom. And Herod was all about keeping the peace, right? Herod wasn't about the truth. Herod was about how do I keep the peace? I don't want some king coming in and causing a stir and, and somebody saying they're a Messiah again. So I'm going to have to find out who this kid is and get rid of him. And these wise men who have traveled far away, God put a star in the sky to get Gentiles, listen, people who don't even believe in the Bible, he's putting it on display in the heavens so if at least they'll pay attention to creation, they'll know that his son's been born. And these guys get it. And they show up out of nowhere. Then it goes on and it says, after they were gone, oh, and then it said they, bring, they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right, it says, after leaving the king, they went on their way, and there it was. The star they had seen in the east until it came and stopped the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling on their knees, they worshipped him. They just fell down. They're just like, this is it. They had been traveling for months, folks, by the way. They'd been traveling from like the Orient, like China, all the way to the Middle East. They would have been like following a star. and You can only follow a star when? At night. So you're traveling when you're not supposed to be traveling in the dark. It's not like they had like LEDs back then, right? Like they didn't have halogen. They had to travel at night to follow the star and then stop all day and wait until the star popped back out. And maybe there were some cloudy nights and they couldn't see the star. And now they're sitting around going, well, there's a false dumb star. I mean, they're overjoyed. They can finally stop, much less they found the kid, right? 
Then it says, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another way. I love this. They returned a different way because they said, don't go back to Herod. He's lying. Because they were going to go back and tell him, hey, we found the king. Come worship him. Goes on. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. Listen, the Israelites were never supposed to go back to Egypt. He said, I've delivered you from Egypt. He tells him, go back to the place of slavery. Remember, you're Joseph. You remember where Joseph went? Joseph went to Egypt, and you're a Joseph too. Go back to Egypt. He's reminding him of the Bible story. He takes him back to Egypt. This would have been a major step of faith because to go back to Egypt and reestablish a trade relate and do that, it's kind of like, oh, you're trading with the Egyptians. We try not to trade with the Egyptians because they put us in slavery for like 400 years. A lot of racism, a lot of issues. And so he's go, he says, go back to Egypt, which would have been a struggle. For Herod's about to search for the child to destroy him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. I mean, he's flying out of there. Obeying God immediately, not praying about it, not thinking about it, got to get my stuff together, just go. He stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken through the Lord, might, the prophet, might be fulfilled out of Egypt, I called my son. See, God put a little prophecy in the Old Testament said, I'm going to call my son out of Egypt like I called Joseph out of Egypt. I'm going to call him out of slavery into the land of promise to be the savior of his people. That's what that means. Now, here's the deal. Do you know what Herod did? So Joseph, this would have been his family in Bethlehem. Joseph just obeys. He just leaves. The angel doesn't tell him why. He just says, Herod's out to get him. Leave. Now you're in Egypt. You're safe and secure. You're fine. You got frank, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and you can live a long time. See, God gave them those gifts because he knew they needed to run. And he gave them the money, the resources to be able to run to Egypt. He didn't give them the resource for the ram. But he gave them the resources to be able to flee to Egypt and live there for two years. And you want to know why, what happened? Herod ordered the death of every child under the age of two. How many of you have ever been in birthing classes with other moms and you still know those moms? How many of you have nieces and nephews and you have on the same time together? And while Joseph's sitting in Egypt with his son, just fine and safe and secure, he hears about the slaughter of his, his family, the slaughter of his friend's children who were murdered because of his son. I can't imagine what that was like for Joseph and Mary. I thought we were favored. I thought this was going to turn out great. And all of our friends' children, the people we, we knew and they played with, their, their, their children have been slaughtered because of our kid. Is this salvation? Is this what this is supposed to look like? Then Herod, when he saw that he outwardly, he flew into a rage and that's when he killed him. After Herod had died, the angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph, saying, get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, because those who sought the child's life are dead. So he got up, he took the child and his mother, and entered the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go up there. So he hears, well, Herod's dead, but his son's still there. He's going to kill my son. So he's got some fear in him. So probably he prayed and this is what the answer was. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. So the angel steps in. I know you're afraid. I want you to draw away to Galilee. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets that he, the Messiah, will be called a Nazarene. You don't want to be called a Nazarene. Remember later in Jesus' ministry when they say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like it's like, this is not what you would want for your kid. Like, you would not want your kid to be the Nazarene. That's like, my kid's a redneck. Well, this is my redneck kid. That's, that's the same. This is my redneck kid. Loves his big truck and big NRA stickers on the back and his gun rack. And that's my, that's my kid. But you guys are like, like doctors and lawyers. Yep, that's our redneck kid. He's great. Love him. See, we, see, we have the same issues in our culture. 
See, we want to brag about the kid and look at what he's done and look at the accomplishments and look at all this stuff. And they're, they're going to have to tell their forever, yeah, our kid's he's a Nazarene, which means you grow your hair out long, by the way. You don't cut your hair, ever. He's a hairy kid. Like, dude, get it, like, ugh. Because Nazarenes were weird, and they ate weird stuff, and, like, they had all these vows. They, like, it's like, ugh, really? Could, could we go settle someplace else, Lord? Nope, he's going to be a Nazarene, because that's what I said was going to happen. It goes on, it says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation of the Holy Spirit was on him. When the parents brought the child to Jesus to perform on him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You've prepared it in the presence of the people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Then his father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and told them his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined. Look at this. This child is destined. You can hear, oh, he's destined. We're favored. I know we just had a bunch of kids murdered because of him, but okay, he's destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. Not quite the destiny I was hoping for, right, for my kid. That he's going to be like, people aren't going to like him. Like, 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 that's not what I was thinking. And then it says, and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That's the destiny you just gave to me? And it goes on, it says, and there was also a prophetess, Anna, a widow of 84 years. She did not leave the temple complex serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. And she proclaimed how awesome he was. When they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. Every year, his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. They obeyed the Old Testament there, the, his whole growing up. They kept traveling back and forth to Jerusalem to make the sacrifices. So Joseph led his family differently than Adam. Joseph led his family to travel, led them to follow the law. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. After those days was over, they were returning. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Oops. Ever had that happen? You lose your kid? Okay. They lost the Son of God. Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. They've gone a day walking, and they didn't recognize they lost Jesus. Like, you're carrying around God's Son, and you're like, okay. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. So they're traveling. So Joseph led the whole family to go. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they've been searching in Jerusalem for three days. So they had to travel, then travel back, then search. I mean, you would not only be panicked, you'd want to kill your kid, right, at this moment. And then it says, they found him in the temple complex, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Joseph and Mary weren't perfect. They didn't go to the temple first. <laughs> if you've got God's son, you might want to check in God's temple first before you worry your head off and look everywhere else. But they're like us. They're human. And that's exactly what happens here. And then it goes on. It says, all of those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, dad doesn't even have time to talk. Mom's on him like that, right? Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I, his answer, 12-year-old, why were you searching for me? Like, I'm going to smack you. Like, because you're lost. Like, you'd stay, you didn't tell us. You didn't communicate. You know, all this kind of stuff. And it says, he asked him, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? You could just feel the weight of that. Like, oh, yeah, we should check the temple first. Oops. And then he goes on. He says, and then he would have reminded Joseph in that moment, you're not my dad. So in a moment that you're going to discipline him, you want to discipline and you want to do the thing, he looks at you and said, you guys aren't my parents. And you want to know something? God is all of our parents. And it's not disrespectful what he says here. He's just being honest. But then they did not understand what he said to them. He went down with them and came to Nazareth. And look at this. He was obedient to them and his mother kept all these things in her heart. He was obedient. 
He's the son of God. He's already proved his parents wrong. And it says he still was willing to go live the next 18 years as an obedient child, waiting for his heavenly father to tell him when it was time for him to go. And Joseph had to sit in the middle of all that and be the other dad. Have a perfect kid that never sinned. Can you imagine raising a perfect child? You were always wrong in the relationship. Always. Unless you agreed with him. See, this is, it, it's amazing when you stop and look at the faith. And so you look at all this, and Mary said he was favored. Joseph does the right thing, and what do they get for it? Well, at this point, Joseph dies. We think, historically. There's no mention of him after this. I don't think he left Mary, because he wouldn't have gone through all this. He would have left a lot sooner if he wanted to divorce her and leave, right? He probably died. Never seeing what was going to happen to his son. Never knowing. And Jesus, as the oldest son, had to bear the burden of taking care of his family. And when it came down to the point where Jesus had to make the ultimate decision of what he was going to do, stay on this earth and take care of his family or truly take care of the sins of his family, this is what happened in John 19. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they found a sponge full of sour wine on hyssop and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And Mary's right there at the foot of the cross. Her husband, having been a great man, raised Jesus to be responsible and have an occupation. Not having a husband. Watching her son die. Give his life. Wondering, is this what favored means? Is this, is this what it looks like to be highly favored? I don't want it. That you have to watch your son die? I've already watched my husband die. I'm not watching my son die. I thought, I thought we were going to be saved because he didn't kill him at two years old. Herod, he escaped. But see, that's not the end of the story. The angel told the women, don't be afraid. The women went to visit his tomb. Because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he has been resurrected, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead. In fact, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I've told you. Then Jesus came near to them and said, and this is Matthew 18, later in that passage, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I don't know about you, but if you had to be the other parent in all this mess, Joseph, the other parent, not Ruth, Joseph, the other parent in all this mess, your son dies and then comes back to life. Guys, this story, it's either true or we're absolutely crazy to even be sitting here. This is either true or we're, we're, we're the most pitied people on the face of the planet to believe this crazy stuff. To believe that there's a God that goes all the way back to the first man and traces it all the way back. And if it is true, then are we willing to live lives like Joseph and Mary? Are we just surrendered that he is our slave and give our life? I don't know. But I'm telling you, this is powerful. And so you have now the son of Adam, the son of Abraham, the son of David, and the son of God who dies on a cross, he gives his life as all four sons. You ready for this? To come back to life as all four sons. So that we can have the confidence that if we place our faith and allow him to adopt us like Joseph adopted Jesus as his son, that we will be the new son of Adam, the new son of Abraham, the new son of David, and we can be with him, our Father in heaven, as sons and daughters. That's the message of the scriptures. And God has been laying it out forever. And Joseph is the example of how we should be as we walk through this life. Mary as well. Let me ask you, are you willing to read this story? Maybe go back and read it on your own and really ask yourself in the depth of your own heart.
am I willing to be like this? Am I willing to be God's slave? Am I willing to surrender and say, God, it's yours and I'll do simple. I'll go work a job in Nazareth. Teach my son how to work a job in Nazareth and that's, that's okay. I'll just obey the Old Testament laws and do everything that's written very simply to, so my family knows that we, we love God and believing that even if it ends with crucifixion and death that it's worth it because God says he's going to bring things back to life. And even if I end up not seeing it, I just turn to dust, then it's okay. Because God's going to make a new man out of the dust. See, that's the story of the Bible. That's the beautiful story that we miss if we're not careful and we don't dive in and say, man, I want to be like that. So let me ask you again. Are you willing? Would you be willing to go back and look at this story and say, God, help me be surrendered like this. Help me to be willing to live the life you've asked me to live, to not have a definition of what favored is and to shoot for that, but just believe that because I'm your kid, I'm already favored. And whatever happens, happens. And I can be surrendered to you in that, knowing that you're gonna use it, ready for this, to go tell the nations, to transform the nations to be your sons and daughters, because that's what we're called to do.